We have been looking at the book of Malachi uh, for our Advent series, and we close out the book today. Um, What we've done is we've sort of mapped over the themes of Advent uh, and seen how they they correspond with some of the themes of the book of Malachi. And so today we finish uh, with Christ. And so we're looking at Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through the end of the book. You can find that on page number 1490. Again, Malachi chapter 3, verse 13 through chapter 4, verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. And the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is the word of the Lord. So the other day, I was uh, watching Mickey's A Christmas Carol. Are you familiar with this one? This is the one where uh, Mickey Mouse plays Bob Cratchit and Ebenezer Scrooge plays, oh sorry, Scrooge McDuck plays Ebenezer Scrooge. And uh, anytime I'm preparing for a sermon, whatever happens in my life becomes potential content for the sermon. And so I'm sitting there watching A Christmas Carol, and I noticed something about the story that I'd noticed before, but it really stuck out to me this week. And the thing that stuck out to me, first of all, was that uh, Ebenezer Scrooge is a really bad guy. But what stood out to me is that he doesn't care that he's a bad guy. 
He, he went to bed the night before he was visited by the three ghosts, and, and he wasn't wringing his hands about what a terrible person he was. He wasn't wondering what was wrong with his life and how he needs to change. He was actually incredibly content with his loneliness and his misery. But over the course of the night, he's visited by the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future, and he's transformed. He's so transformed that he wakes up on Christmas Day so excited that it's Christmas that he can hardly contain himself. He goes from being a man greedy, who only cares about himself, to being this radically generous person who wants to give away everything that he has. What happened? Well, he saw the truth of himself. He saw that he deserves to die. And he saw that he is going to die. And then he realized there was still time to repent. It was this potential future, though, that transformed him the most. Seeing his past and his present, those things really softened his heart when he saw how much he'd hurt other people. But seeing into the future that would be if he did not change was the thing that transformed him the most. And that's what our passage is seeking to accomplish this morning. So powerful was this knowledge that Ebenezer woke up weeping with sorrow, desperately wanting the future to be different. And then he realizes he's still alive and that it was only a dream and that it's only the next day and that it's Christmas Day and that that doesn't have to be his future. He is transformed. Because the rest of his life now becomes this wonderful, gracious gift to him that he realizes now he does not deserve. Our passage opens this morning with a a group of people who are just as blind as Ebenezer Scrooge. Listen to what God says to them. He says, You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Well, you've said it's futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. So here's the situation. There's this group of people, and they honestly believe they're doing everything that God requires of them. And yet life is still hard. And there doesn't seem to be any benefit to them to carrying out God's requirements. In fact, they're going so far as to say that it is actually futile to serve God. They're not gaining anything from it. They're not experiencing any joy in trying to follow God. To them, a life of following God's commandments is a life of going around mourning all the time because they're just hard. And when they look around, it seems like the arrogant evildoers are living a great life. The arrogant evildoers test God by disobeying his commandments, and there doesn't seem to be any consequences to them. 
And the truth is, it's really easy to feel like this. Maybe it feels like you have been following God's commandments. It feels like you've been faithful, but no matter how hard you try, everything just kind of slips through your fingers. Other people seem happy. Other people seem content, especially if you're looking through the lens of social media. Even people who are not Christians want nothing to do with God, and yet they can seem like life is more satisfying to them than it feels like for you. And the truth is, sometimes Christmas can just be a reminder of all that's wrong with our lives. See, our culture has turned Christmas into this sentimental day where we're supposed to be happy, and our highest dream is of a white Christmas and chestnuts roasting on an open fire. At best, this kind of gooey sentimentality can numb us from the pain of life for a day, especially with an assist from some wine and eggnog. And at worst, it can make us feel discontent because the heartaches of our life simply cannot be buried under a pile of snow on Christmas Day. So what does God say to a group of people who are wondering if maybe they'd be better off trying to find life apart from God? Well, just like the ghost of Christmas future, God doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't promise them that life is going to be any less difficult. He doesn't give them a bunch of gooey sentimentality. He just says that at the end of the day, there are really only two kinds of people. There are those who fear God and trust Him. And then there are those who continue in their wickedness and evil. Malachi goes on. He says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. So fearing God is a complicated concept sometimes. But to fear the Lord is simply to acknowledge his right to judge us for our sin. But at the same time, to know that he forgives and welcomes sinners. Someone who fears God knows that we should be in dread of him, but that he is merciful and gracious with sinners who repent of their sin and trust in him. And when we do that, he he becomes our father and we begin to understand that he loves us more than we could ever imagine. And for those who fear God, they're also the ones who honor his name. They realize that God did not have to open their eyes to the reality of their sin and his willingness to forgive sinners. He could have left them in it, and so they honor his name because they see what a good and gracious and kind God he is, not only for forgiving them, but for just opening their eyes so they could see the reality of life. This is what Ebenezer Scrooge realized. Those three ghosts were a gift 
because they showed him the truth of his life and where his life was leading, and that didn't have to happen. He would have lived out the rest of his years and died in his loneliness and misery, never even knowing what was wrong. And when that happens to someone, we can't help but talk about it. We're told in our passage that those who fear God, they talk to each other about him. They talk about his greatness and his holiness and his patience. They share with each other about his kindness and his mercy. And God hears them and then he writes their name down in his book. And there will be a day when this is all over. There will be a day when there is no more sadness or crying or pain and when he wipes away every tear from all of our faces And we're told that on that day, those who fear him will become his treasured possession and he will have compassion on them and he will spare them. And that will be a day that makes all of the trials of this life totally worth it. And then God says, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked because those who serve God, between those who serve God and those who do not. Because right now, we don't necessarily see that distinction. Right now, it can seem like those who don't fear God are happy and content, and and they are the ones who don't suffer. But on that day, at the end of time, there will be a clear difference between those who fear God and honor His name and those who do not. Malachi goes on to tell us what that difference will be. He says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name. And that word translated revere there is the same word earlier translated fear. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. So there are those who God will one day judge because they refuse to trust in his salvation that he freely offers them in Christ. For them, there will be fire and they will be cut down on that day. And then for those who fear his name, for them, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And that word translated rays there is literally in Hebrew, the word wings. Because the rays of the sun were thought of as wings. And those who fear God, notice, they're sick. They're sick with sin and they desperately need healing. And and when he returns to judge the wicked, those who put their faith in him, fearing and honoring his name, even though they are struggling with sadness and anxiety and shame, and even though they feel the weight of this fallen world every day, whether because of their own failure or the failures of others or the weakness of their body or the pain and suffering of those they love, when Christ returns, they will feel the light from the glory of God shining on their faces And those wings will heal them to their core. And then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. In what way do those who put their faith in Jesus trample on the wicked? I will simply 
quote 1 John 5, 4. John says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And the New International Version, for some reason, adds the word even in there, but that's not in the original. This is the original. A literal translation is, This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. You see, when Jesus comes back the second time, there will be those who have faith. And they will trample the wicked, not by physically trampling on them, but because he has caused them to trust in him in the face of depression, in the face of their own failure, in the face of discouragement and life still being hard. They will trample on the wicked because they believe that God loves them in Christ, even as they're struggling with their sin every single day until the rest of their life. By his strength, And by his power. So the choice is simple. We can continue on in our sin and misery, knowing full well where that is going to lead, or like Ebenezer Scrooge, we can celebrate this Christmas that that doesn't have to be our future. We can jump for joy that God has shown us what would happen if we went on our merry way apart from him, and then we can come to him in repentance and faith, trusting him, and he will have compassion on us, and he will spare us, And one day, he will heal us completely. So it's at this point, I wonder how some of us are feeling. Maybe you long to fear God and honor his name. And you long for him to spare you like a father spares a son who serves him. But you know that you don't serve him like you should. Maybe you long for a day when the Son of Righteousness will rise and shine on you with healing in his wings. And that sounds really, really wonderful. But if we're honest, in many ways we're more like the people at the beginning of this passage who doubt God's goodness. And to us, sometimes it does feel like serving God is pointless We're jealous of other people whose lives seem like they're full of joy. We know we should fear God and honor his name, but sometimes we lay our heads down at night and we haven't thought about him the entire day. We doubt. We keep returning to our bad habits. How can we wake up one day totally transformed like Ebenezer Scrooge? It doesn't even seem possible anymore because we feel beat down by our own failure and the failures of others. So this is what God says next in our passage. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. What? Remember his law? How is that supposed to help? Let's not forget, and many of you weren't here a few weeks ago, But a few weeks ago, we talked about the difference between the law and the gospel. And there's two different ways of being transformed in this life. One is to try to be transformed through the law, and the other is to be transformed by the gospel. And so when we're we're asked to remember the law, the law is meant to take us to the gospel. 
If we're sitting here this Christmas morning longing to fear God and honor his name, if we're longing for him to have compassion on us and to spare us like a father spares a son who serves him, if we're longing for a day when the sun of righteousness will rise and shine on us with healing in its wings by remembering the law, we're supposed to remember that the law cannot bring us those things. Remembering the law, we remember that we don't actually earn anything by carrying out his requirements. And that a life of trying to gain something by carrying out his requirements is a life of mourning because we'll never be able to do it. By remembering the law, we're reminded that our efforts don't save us and that everything is a gift from God, including our ability to keep the law, which is a gift that he gives us. See, God saves us to make us holy by the gospel not by the law. And only when we know that we're already saved through faith and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, only then does the law become sweet. Because it shows us how to please the God who loved us and gave himself up for us on the cross. Finally, the book closes this way. God says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So up until this point, this entire passage has been looking forward to Jesus' second coming when he will come and spare the righteous and judge the wicked. But in these final verses, Malachi points forward to the first coming of Christ. And so from Malachi's perspective, he, he couldn't really see the difference. Uh, the, the picture that is given that maybe you've heard before is that of a mountain range, right? So that the prophets are looking forward to Jesus' first and second coming, and they kind of see it like a mountain range. And so they can't see the distance that's in between. And you and I are living after the first coming of Christ and before the second coming. And so when he says here, I will send my prophet Elijah, he's talking about John the Baptist. And Jesus came right after John the Baptist. And there's this period in between the time that they came and the dreadful day of the Lord when Jesus will come and all things will be done. And that's where we're living. And that first coming, God sent John the Baptist, who was that prophet. And John and Jesus, they came long before that great and dreadful day. And we're living in between that time. And notice what Malachi says. He says, he will turn the hearts. And then the example he gives is of, of parents and children, right? Because the, the first healing that happens is, is in the home, <laughs> the most basic relationship in this world. The family is where heart turning begins. But the point is, who turns hearts? You? Me? No. 
No, friends, our hope this Christmas is not that somehow we can make ourselves into the kind of people who God will accept on that final day. Our hope is in the one who came as a baby in a manger to live a perfect life for us. He feared God and he honored his name perfectly. He was the son who served his father perfectly so that God could have compassion on us and spare us. He is God's treasured possession. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust in him, that he came to this earth to suffer and die, to save sinners like us, then we can know that on that day, we will also be God's treasured possession. Because we are united to Christ by faith. And Jesus is the one who turns our hearts. And we can know that all the promises for God's people are ours, simply by believing in what Christ has done for us and what Christ will do for us. That is the greatest gift of Christmas. So as we consider the baby in the manger, we cannot help but also consider that that baby lived a perfect life that we cannot live and died the death that we deserve to die so that if we simply trust in his finished work in our place, we become a child of God and we can look forward to a time when we will see his glorious face shining on us, healing us to our core. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that as we think about a baby in a manger, we cannot help but think of why he came. And we are tempted, Father, to drown ourselves in gooey sentimentality on a day like today. And yet when we do, we miss the true joy and the true wonder of what this day is all about. So I pray, Father, that you would grant us the gift of worshiping you in fullness and in truth with repentance and faith, knowing that Christ is our King and that he is the Son of Righteousness who shines on us with healing in his wings. We pray this in his glorious name. Amen.